Hello, queen. You have a story to tell, and I want to help you tell it. Why? Because you matter. You are enough. You are loved, and you are worth it. I'm Tonya, best-selling author, coach, speaker, and realtor. We are all born, and ultimately, we will all eventually expire. And those are two dates that we have no control over. But that dash in the middle is ours to own. Up until a certain point in our lives, most of our story is written for us and colored by our experiences, the opinion of others, and our viewpoint of ourselves, or lack thereof. But when we get a glimpse of who God actually created us to be, we no longer settle for less than his best for us. We don't just go through the motions or casually spend our time. Life becomes more intentional, focused, and we show up fully present, unapologetically and authentically as ourselves. We start to write our own story from that point forward, positively impacting those around us and ensuring that we make our dash of life count. The journey of you is just that. It's your journey to purpose and how you are making your dash of life account. Being equipped to know who you are in Christ, empowered to embrace just being you, and encouraged to know that God's got you and you can walk in the plans he has for you. Here's your host, Tonya D. Bennis. Hello, Journey of You family, and welcome to another week of the podcast. This week, I'm really excited because I get to share my Aunt Eileen with all of you and talk a little bit about her story and just the wisdom nuggets that she has gleaned over her lifetime, and we all get to share and learn from her experiences. So Aunt Eileen, I'd love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you, Tonya. My name is Eileen Valto Bernard. And I am originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, but I have lived in California, Puerto Rico for a hot minute, and Virginia for what seems like an eternity. (laughs) Understood, understood. I didn't know that you lived in Puerto Rico before I got to visit last weekend, last year, and I'm like, I could totally live here, so. (laughs) I am going to put my glasses back on. Yeah, totally, totally. Tell us a little bit just about yourself, your story. I'd love to just learn more about your experiences. Well, as I said, I grew up in New Orleans and I'm 72. So that tells you that I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. And in New Orleans, growing up in the 50s, um, of course, things were very segregated. Um, New Orleans was a little bit different in that neighborhoods were mixed, but schools, churches were not, um, public service buses, public transportation was not integrated. So in 1962, um, I'm sorry, 1961, Two years after Ruby Bridges integrated the public schools in New Orleans, um, I was enrolled in Catholic school and Archbishop John Cody was sent from the diocese in Chicago to New Orleans specifically to integrate the schools there. There had been a lot of opposition to integration And Catholic schools and Catholic churches in the Deep South were segregated, something that was not commonplace um, in the North and particularly in the Northeast. Um, 
Archbishop Cody came down and met with all of the principals of the elementary and high schools, Catholic schools, and wanted to select students that he felt not only were going to be academically strong, but were going to be emotionally strong to handle the opposition that we would be faced with. And so roughly, I want to say 35 students were selected from high schools and grammar schools at that time. It was called grammar school. We went K through eighth grade. I was one of um, four from the school I went to that was selected. There was a Catholic elementary school, a half block from my home. But at the time, I was going approximately 27 blocks away to the school I went to, which was an all-Black parochial or Catholic school. So when I started fifth grade, I integrated that school, and I was the only Black child in that school until I graduated from there in eighth grade. Wow. And yeah, um, we didn't have marshals walking us to school, but we did have police that walked us. Like I said, I only had a half block to walk from my home to the school, but we had a lot of opposition, a lot of picketing, the parents, um, even some of the teachers were opposed to the integration of the schools. But I was very fortunate in that my mom was a school teacher and she had prepared me very, very much for that one thing that I really, really remember about that experience, well, a couple of things, but one thing, my mom's parents lived right next door to us. And my grandfather was born three years after slavery ended in Mississippi, my mom's dad. Mm -hmm. And um, his father brought him to New Orleans as a young boy so that he could learn a trade because he felt that his son would not have much of a chance in Mississippi. And my grandfather was a brick mason, one of the first black brick masons in New Orleans. But when we told him that I was going to be integrating the schools that fall, he I, I, I will never forget this. He looked at my mom and he looked at me and he said, that's wonderful, but I will never live to see that. And sure enough, my grandfather passed that May and I started at that school that September. Mm -hmm. um, and it was something that stuck with me because he told me, even though I won't physically be here, I will be with you emotionally and in your heart and I will help you to be strong. And I always felt that I had him there with me that entire time. Um, my grandfather was not Catholic. He was AME. Mm -hmm. But he, my grandmother was Catholic. She was born in Covington, Louisiana. We still have no idea how they met, but um, she was born um, 10 years after my grandfather, but still working on a farm, let's say, versus a plantation. Um, and she was a master seamstress. She 
I, I, I honestly can say I can never remember a day in my life seeing my grandmother go to church. But my grandfather, every Sunday, went to Catholic Mass. And then in the afternoon, he would go to his AME service. So I was very fortunate living next door to them. I got to experience both his religion as well as the one that I was being raised in. Um, so that left a very deep impression on me, listening um, to him talk about the short years that he lived in Mississippi and then coming to New Orleans. It wasn't until I was much older and my grandparents were gone that I realized the sacrifices they had made to raise 10 children, um, nine of whom they raised to adulthood. But to understand fully the prejudices that they had faced in their lives growing up, um, and, and to never let that get them down. They never were the type of people that would say, I can't do something or I'm not good enough to be able to do that. My grandfather impressed upon his children the importance of family and family life. He used to, when I was a little girl, I can remember he used to say all the time, if I could take all my children and all my grandchildren and just go to one little plot of land, I would do that. So they don't have to be with the world. And, you know, we would just kind of laugh. You know, nowadays you kind of realize, hmm, maybe that wasn't such a bad idea with all the stuff that goes on in the world. But um, you can hear from what I'm saying that he had a very big impression on me. He left a big impression on me. He was uh, he was a character, uh, as was my grandmother. My grandfather was five four. My grandmother was five nine and a half. Um, so whenever they would take pictures, he would always stand on a box next to her so that he could be as tall as her, if not a little bit taller. But um, <clears throat> as a brick mason. He paid for his nine children to go to college by laying stones and bricks at Xavier University, the only HBCU Catholic university in the United States. And nine of my mom's brothers and sisters all graduated from Xavier. And most of my cousins that grew up in New Orleans, we also attended there, those of us that went to college and graduated from there. Um, so that's a little bit about my early life. I, as I said, I went to Save University and I majored in special education and I taught in New Orleans. While I was going to college, um, you could get a teaching certificate and teach at the same time, which is what I did. And then I got married and my first husband was in the military. We lived in San Diego for eight years. Beautiful, beautiful place. And I loved it. Um, but sometimes things just don't work out. And we went our separate ways. And God gave me a renewal of life, a new family, um, and love. He taught me, meaning God, taught me that I had to love myself and make myself happy. No one else could do that for me. And by loving myself, 
a very old friend who I had known for quite a while came into my life. And as good friends, we just shared a lot um, and eventually started dating. And here we are today, 25 years later. So I tell people all the time, never say never. Um, you never know what's in store for you. And sometimes you have to just sit back and take a look at what did I do wrong? Uh, first of all, at 22, looking back, I was probably a little bit too young and too immature to be getting married, even though I had already graduated from college and was working. Um, love at that age for a lot of us is a dream. It's, you know, the white picket fence, a happy life, children for eternity. And it just doesn't always work out that way. I tell people all the time, your partner should be your best friend first. They should be your confidant. They should be the person that you can go to with anything. Yeah. You're good, you're bad, you're ugly. Yeah. And they accept your faults as well as your mastery. Um, above all, you have to have God in your life. You have to start your day in your partnership with God. You have to end your day in your partnership with God. And you have to have him as your guide, as your go-to. Um, it's important to know how to pray and how to give thanks. So many of us pray asking for something. Oh, God, could you please let this, you know, can I do this? Can you please make this happen for me? And I learned a very long time ago to say, God, let your will be done. And let me accept what your will is. Show me how to be an instrument for your message. So right now I have two very, very critical people in my life that I love very dearly, both of whom have cancer. A young mother who's 46, who is a cousin-in-law with three children, a 16-year-old daughter and nine-year-old twins, mm -hmm. and she has stage four breast cancer. And I pray for her every day, asking God for his will to be done. I pray first that he will guide her doctors. She has finished her chemotherapy and she'll be having uh, surgery, I believe it's next week, and then she'll have infusions after that. So I pray first of all that God will guide her surgeon and her doctors, but that he will bring calmness and peace to her so that as she goes through this trial, it will not consume her, that she will not lose her way with him, and that whatever the trial is, we accept it and we move forward with it. Mm -hmm. But I end those prayers each day for her and for my other friend who also has cancer. Um, 
that whatever your will is, Lord, it be done. That if it's your will that they have peace, that they they can be brought to peace. If it's your will that their pain will be eased, it will be eased. Um, but I don't pray for their cancer to go away. I don't pray for them to be healed because I don't know if that's God's will. So I pray for God's will to be done and for me to be able to accept his will and most importantly, for them to be able to accept his will. Mm -hmm. um, people probably look at me and think I'm crazy. Well, why wouldn't you pray for them to get well? Because that might not be God's will. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get well, and I'm praying all along for them to get well, then how do I accept God's will? So That's good. I've never yeah, thought yeah. of it like that, but that makes sense. It does. You have to pray with an acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a little bit of me spiritually. Um, in my adult life, I've learned to enjoy life. I've learned to communicate with joy um, and to listen. So many of us are not good listeners, but when someone is trying to engage with you to not sit back thinking about what you're going to come back with, but to really sit and listen, take in what that person is saying to you and to recognize when they're asking for your advice versus just asking for a listening ear. A lot of times people just want yeah, they, it is. It's a big difference. And a lot of times people just want you to listen. Just hear me out. I don't want to know your opinion. I just want you to hear me out. So, Tonya, is is that enough of me or do you need any more? <laughs> I'm, I'm like so intrigued because some of these are things that I never knew. And so even just like you talking about the transition of segregation to integration and then going to college and majoring in special education, the whole time I've known you've been in the mortgage industry. So how did you go from special education to the mortgage industry? <laughs> well, when I moved to San Diego, um, I could not get a job teaching because before you could get hired in the San Diego Unified School District, you had to take California history and geography. And in the 70s, the early 70s, the California school system was packed with professional students, people that just went to school to be going to school. And it was very, very hard to get into the classes. And um, I got a job with Bank of America, believe it or not, way, way back um, before they were the humongous entity they are now. And while I was there, I was working in their business development department. And I was working in Southeast San Diego, <clears throat> excuse me, with minority women entrepreneurs, um, helping them get uh, small business loans, et cetera. Bank of America had been cited for unfair lending practices in the minority community. And so they, I, I happened to be at the right place at the right time. Um, and they hired 
probably about 20 of us to work in uh, the Hispanic and Black communities with females that owned their own businesses, were entrepreneurs that were either just getting their feet off the ground or already had their business, but really needed help and a plan and how to get their business going. So while I was there, I had an opportunity to go back to school and get a second degree in business, which is what I did. Um, and then I just kind of stayed in banking from there on. I, I stayed in retail banking through my duration in San Diego. And then when I first came to Virginia, I stayed in retail banking and 20, probably 27 years ago, I switched over from retail banking to mortgage banking. And I've been in mortgage banking ever since. I work in compliance. So I review front end and back end loans for um, compliance and packaging of loans for sale to Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, Jenny Mac, VA, FHA, et cetera. So, and I've kind of been at all ends of it. I was a mortgage originator. I've worked as a processor. I've worked in marketing with our mortgage department and compliance, and I've worked the wholesale in also. So I've, I've had a lot of experience um, in both education as well as in the mortgage industry, but my heart and soul lie in teaching, um, in educating, in helping young people. So this is so funny. Uh, in January, a group of us were all together, um, one of whom was your dad. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing with them a story of how I, and it, it was Martin Luther King birthday weekend. And I was sharing with four or five people, we were sitting around the table talking that I had given three of um, our older grandchildren an assignment. I had sent them all, I sent them little text messages during the week and I had sent them an assignment and said, so Dr. King's birthday celebration is this weekend coming up and I'm sure you'll say something in school about it, but it's more than just you're having a holiday. So I'd like you to think about why we celebrate Dr. King. What is it that he did that made him such a special man? And I want you to research some of his quotes and pick one that you like and tell me why you like it. So I sent that assignment to three of them. Two of them completed it. And I was quite happy with the responses from them. But I was, I was telling the story where we were and your dad looked at me and he said, oh, I know what you're going to be doing when you retire. You're going to be teaching. And I said, I already did that job. And he said, what? You did? I said, yes. And you know, it's funny. You know people for a very long period of time, but you don't know them, yep. you know, because we don't take, we don't invest in each other enough time to really get to know each other. So I thought that was, that was interesting, but I was proud of the two 
that um, did the research that I asked them to. And I surprised them. I got them each a gift card for Target because it was the two girls that responded. Mm -hmm. and every little girl <laughs> loves Target. Yes. <laughs> and I like, I know that I like to get mail. So I sent in the mail to them their gift cards and I gave them another assignment. Um, the stamp that I used on their envelope was for a gentleman who, when I bought the stamps last year during February, um, the one month relegated to celebrate Black History Month, right? Um, I didn't know who this person was. So I was like, who is this man? And I looked him up and found out who he was. So in the little note card that I put their gift card in, I told them that their next assignment was, I said, look at the outside of your envelope and you're going to see a gentleman on it. I'd like you to look him up and tell me what you find out about him. Because I don't think he's going to be somebody you're going to learn about during Black History Month. So I've heard back from one of them on that, and she was quite excited to read about him. Um, he was an architect, one of the first Black famous architects in the country. And she was very excited to learn about him. I haven't heard from the other one yet. She keeps telling me she hasn't gotten her piece of mail, but I'm I'm kind of starting to doubt that. But <laughs> But anyway, I like to do little things like that with them. I like for them to be stimulated mm -hmm. uh, and to use their minds. Um, you know, it's, it's young people need to know their worth yeah. and they need to know from where they came mm -hmm. and they need to know the struggles and the hardships that not just the generation before them, but the generation three and four before them went through. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our your generation has endured many things that my generation did not have to endure. You've had to endure peer pressure. You've had to endure um, drugs, um, just all kinds of challenges that, you know, our biggest thing when I was growing up was who was going to turn the jump rope or who was going to spin each other on skates. Um, we didn't have to worry about going to school and somebody bringing a gun or a fight after school. And so even the generation after you, Tonya, your children, they're faced with so many challenges. It's, it's frightening. It's, it's very, very frightening where they are in their lives and in this world right now. So let's fast forward a little bit to where I am in my life now. I am in a season of blossoming, a season of comfort, comfort with who I am, who I've grown into, um, happy with me, happy with my relationship, feeling loved, knowing what love is, being able to give love back, reciprocated love. Um, knowing my self-worth, everybody should know their self-worth. Mm -hmm. so, I'd say I've come full circle. <laughs> Thinking then of all the struggles and different things that you have experienced, there are people even younger than me 
that are still trying to figure that out. Like, who am I? Am I loved? What makes me happy? What makes me me? What would you say has gotten you to this point of blossoming and being completely comfortable with yourself and not worrying about what everybody else thinks because you know who you are? What has been your biggest, I guess, foundation in getting to that point? I would say for me, my biggest foundation is educating myself Mm -hmm. um, and believing in myself, not doubting myself. And that's a very hard place to get to. We all have self-doubt. We all second and third question the things we do and why we do them. So it's not an easy place to get to. Confidence is probably my biggest supporter of me, having confidence in me, confidence in knowing that I can do something. Um, and, And knowing when a friend or a family member or possibly even the person we love is not good for us. When that person stifles us, um, either because of their fear of us growing, perhaps out of the relationship of friendship or beyond the family connection. So confidence, and knowing when to say no, knowing when something is not good for you. Um, and that is not something that comes easy mm-hmm. or easy in our lives. Um, sometimes we we have to hit rock bottom before we realize this really isn't good for me. Um, and I and only I can make me happy. I and only I can change the situation. Mm -hmm. I and only I can have self-confidence to get beyond this situation. So self-confidence. That's so true. (laughs) It's literally because like you just said, you are the only person who can change that, fix it. I always say happiness is a choice. And it's your choice. Nobody else can be the source of your happiness. So I love that. (laughs) Eileen, there are a lot of women listening. And they may very well be struggling with what you talked about. Their self-confidence. Figuring out happiness, what is and isn't good for them or just who they are. I would love for you to cover them in prayer right now. Just for them to see themselves the way that God sees them. And to be able to have that confidence that so many are seeking but just don't seem to have. Father God, I ask each woman who is within the sound of my voice to know that they are someone, that they are powerful, that they are loved, and that it starts within themselves. Father God, I ask you to enlighten them, to show them when they look in the mirror, who they are, that they are your child, your creation. And we all know you create nothing imperfect. 
allow them to reach inside themselves, find their confidence, and to move forward. But to understand that they may struggle, they may fall, but holding on to you, Lord, they can pick themselves up and go forward and they can be strong. They can be a model for someone else. Father, may we all pray together tonight. May we all grow stronger in your love. May we all grow stronger in accepting love within ourselves and knowing that through you, all things are possible. Amen. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's beautiful, so beautiful. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to reach out and hear more about your story or just talk further, what is the best way for them to connect with you? They can email me and my email address is E-M-V as in Victor, 1418 at gmail.com. I'm also on social media. I'm on Instagram um, as Sister Cuz One. <laughs> Sister Cuz One. Okay, perfect. And that's Cuz C U Z. And the number. One. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Got it. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to put that in our notes as well so that everyone's able to con continue um, reaching out um, and talking with Aunt Eileen. I want to thank you so much for coming out and speaking with us today and sharing your story and your wisdom. I love that you're reaching back and even making sure the young people know their history because we want to make sure it doesn't get lost as we know some places are taking it out of the textbook. And so it's very important for us to keep passing that from generation to generation. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you all for tuning in today. Really appreciate it. Remember exactly what Eileen even told us today about your confidence, God being your foundation and knowing who you are in him. This is your journey. It's where your life begins. Thank you. Until next time, see you all again. Thank you, Tonya. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I hope that you feel equipped, empowered, and encouraged to just be you authentically and unapologetically. No more merely just existing from day to day. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to remove the mask and uncover the real you. It's time to become who God created you to be and make your dash count. If you're ready to get unstuck and move forward in your God-given purpose, you can start right now. Today is the day. Head over to thejourneyofyou.net forward slash get unstuck. Again, that's thejourneyofyou.net forward slash get G-E-T unstuck U-N-S-T-U-C-K and begin your journey to just be you, be whole, and be free. Remember, this is your journey. It's where your life begins.